positive feedback loop. Hi, welcome to Positive Feedback Loop. This is the show where we talk about interesting things and often disagree on them. Today's topic is one that I'm sure none of you are familiar with, and it is boredom. Now, as you're listeners to this podcast, I'm sure none of you ever get bored because we have our podcast to keep you entertained. But to talk about this topic, we have our good friend here, Chin Mei. Hello! As our special guest, and we have, as usual, our co-host, myself, Luis. Stephanie. Hello, everyone. And Ray. Hi, guys. So starting us off, what is the most bored you've ever been? So yeah, I think the most bored I've been happened when I was probably a kid, when I had less things to do, or I couldn't go out and play with my friends, or I was in school, in grade school. I think I was really bored. I think my had a, I had a lot of moments in my grade school years when I was just extremely bored of what was going on. I don't know why. Maybe it was limited options. You know, as a child, you don't have lots of options and things to do. We didn't have the internet back then, so I couldn't play with my Snapchat account as kids do these days. But I was limited to whatever I had on hand, and it was boring. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, I, I would assume so. Um, but I think that's interesting because you bring up childhood as a time where you're bored. And I think, is that more because you have less responsibility so you don't have as many things to keep you busy as opposed to things that are fun? Because I think children generally tend to have a lot of fun. So is there a difference between boredom and busy work like versus having fun? So yeah, for my definition of boredom is when there is nothing that you can be doing at this time or you're waiting for something to happen and you're just sitting and waiting which causes boredom i tend to disagree because i think i was never bored as a kid because as a kid i was constantly discovering new things so i was born in india and I think growing up as a kid, I generally had a lot of things to do uh, and uh, even people who were in my home, I could just, you know, see them doing things. I think it was all a new experience as a kid, as opposed to now it has become a little, uh, when you have already, when you have already experienced a lot of uh, normal things in life, uh, it becomes Boredom has become more of a problem now as adults and the, the more you grow because the more you have experienced things and there are less new experiences coming in impromptu. I disagree. I feel like the more that I've experienced, the more possibilities seem to arise in my mind that I could be doing. When I was a kid, I just I felt limited by what I could do. I don't agree with you, Ray. I'm actually with Chinmay on this. I think that there is a difference between inactivity and boredom because you can be bored doing something you can be at a factory just plugging away at one at a very repetitive task and be extremely bored because you're not intellectually challenged or you're not thinking about things but there is something different in, in that you can be inactive but not be bored because maybe you're thinking or you have a rich internal life i i mean i'm a person that i need to always be listening to something or doing something nowadays but that may be more a factor, not because I would be bored otherwise, 
but because I have these options now and I've gotten so used to constant stimuli that I would be bored now if I didn't have these options. But in another world where, let's say, we're back 20 years where you don't have a smartphone and you don't have, you know, something, maybe you don't have uh, constant reading or constant content that you could be consuming, you might have spent that time not bored, but thinking or observing, right? There's other things that you could do. And especially with children, as Chinmay brought up, they have a rich imagination. I remember as a kid, when I would be bored, I would find just items that were around and play with them because I'm a kid. I was at a, I got lost once at a, a amusement park in Cuba. I got left behind by, it, it's, a, it's a long story and I won't get too <laughs> deep into it, but I got left behind from an excursion to the amusement park. And I was remember waiting at the policeman's station, playing with an eraser and some pencils and some paper clips. And like, I was having fun. Like that was fine with me, even though there was an entire amusement park behind me that I was not using at the time. And I was waiting to be picked up like for hours. This is, you know, the way that children are. And maybe your experience was a little bit different as a child, but I think that it, it def different people have different things that create boredom and different ways to cope with it. Your thought on boredom happening while you're doing something that you, you said earlier is really interesting. The etymology of boredom is, is boring something. Like, repeatedly boring a tool that bores a hole into a piece of wood, right? And so there's action happening, but it's so repeated and dull that you can be bored while doing it. And maybe if I could think of how Ray feels, it's probably not when you're on your own. Because when I was a child, I was, I was very much like these two. I, was, I had more to do than I had time to do it. I just had a, a very vibrant imagination. But when you're sitting in school and you're teacher tells you to do something repeatedly, maybe it's not a teacher who can engage students very well, I don't know, or maybe you just have to get something done, your parents give you a chore, all of a sudden you're doing something repeatedly and it becomes boring to you as a child until your imagination is engaged. And so I guess, does that mean that the opposite of boredom is when your imagination is engaged in a task? Is it imagination? Is it motivation? Is it energy? What is it? Well, I do remember when I was a child, and I think um, my parents got like our first computer, like a huge, like you know, personal computer desktop. And I don't remember being bored after that. I feel like there was lots of things to do at that point. I don't think we even had internet then, but you know, I would fiddle around with all the little different pieces of software that I could find and just play around with the hardware too it just seemed like a magical machine to me it was just crazy i don't know how you guys think that you're more prone to being bored these days than you were as a child i feel like my set of information when i was a child it was li limited at the time of what i had so i would circle around all the things i understood and knew try to create some new things but didn't really happen as much as it does now because now in order for me to circle all the things I know it just wouldn't happen it just the you can't really there's so much there and it's growing so much faster right have you ever been bored trying to think of what to do because there's too many options because I know I have I know that sometimes I'll stare at Netflix thinking I need to, I, I don't know what to do I have I have all the games all the books 
all the movies in the world. And I don't know which one's right. And so I just fall into this level of, I don't know what to pick. And therefore I am bored. Because I am not engaged. Because I'm not doing it. I'm not using my internal life, right? But I'm also not using an external stand-in. So that happens now. You have this paralysis due to choice. And that's something that we didn't have before. This is relatively new to humanity in general because we have so much content available to everyone. And we consume it all the time, constantly. So that's something that as a kid you probably didn't have. So uh, to answer your question, you asked if I ever had just so many options and the fact that I had all these options made me feel bored. Yes, it happened like, I don't remember when, but a while back I was, I think about to go to sleep or something and I just googled the word news and I was like okay now I can like look at something and then I looked at that for a while and then I googled the word information because I just didn't have I just wanted something to read I guess and then I googled the word data and then I'm like then I thought to myself am I becoming am I turning into a machine why the hell would I you know google these strange terms and I just I think it was I just wanted the smallest fragment of information just to digest something i think it was that seeking to digest information that i wanted so i think that the chances of getting bored due to having too many options is way lesser than being compelled to do a task that you're responsible for which is why i think when you'll think of your childhood memories the most boring moments would be when you were doing your homework or when you were doing chores because that was when you did not have the imaginative freedom of doing whatever you wanted to and right now as well when i think of when i was most getting bored in school uh, i think about like a paper writing a paper or writing an assignment uh, so I think boredom has uh, uh, its roots in not having the complete freedom of doing uh, what you want to. But at the same time, I completely agree that now we have so many options to keep us entertained that it, it forms a vacuum where you just can't decide what to do. I feel like if we could get on the other side, like maybe that vacuum creates a chasm. And if we could get over the chasm of oversaturation, overwhelming data and information and things where we, and then we're droning on doing a, a task, it's like, it's like the boredom that comes from, like you said, this being forced to do something. On the other side, if you could just cross that chasm, you get into the boredom that is nothingness. And that's actually the boredom that creates innovation. When you're sitting there, and it makes me think of how Luis, you were mentioning you had an eraser, you had some paper clips, and all of a sudden you were creating these things out of erasers and paper clips. I was reading a BBC article that was published in 2014 by David Robson, and he talks about boredom, the bad side of boredom, the good side of boredom. The bad side of boredom is people who start doing drugs or whatever because they have all this time on their hands. But the good side is when you're sitting there, you can't sleep or you, you're waiting for someone and you have this time and you're not doing anything and all of a sudden that's when innovation happens, when people think of new products, when kind of this flow of creativity can happen. There's a lot of other research on how we shouldn't overschedule our children 
because if they're so overscheduled, they just don't have that quiet downtime where there's nothing going on and they can create what fills that space. I, I agree with you. I think that inactivity or not inactivity, but quote unquote boredom or lack of constant consumption of content enables people to develop thought and personality in a way. Because a lot of our ways of thinking are, are derived from external factors, right? You read books or you get information from elsewhere and that allows you to consume it and, you know, come up with an idea out of it. But for example, personally, what I like to do is I like to walk a lot. And if I have a chance to walk, I take that time to think about things. I think through problems. I think about my way of thinking about the world. I think about challenges and what are the ways that we address them. And I develop my own opinions on things by examining them through this time because it's time I'm not doing something at like, yes, I'm walking, but I don't consider that an activity. I consider that just something that gives me an excuse because I can't be doing something else at that time. I can't be watching TV if I'm walking because I need to be paying attention to where I'm walking. I can't be playing a video game. I mean, some people do, but I personally don't have the attention span to like play a video game and walk at the same time. But it's, it's, it's time that I can use to think. And I think that stands in again as a way for children, for example, to be able to use their imagination, to give themselves projects and things that allow them to take pride and ownership of other facts of factors in their life. So I think it's actually a really valid tool and something that we can talk more about in the second half as we move uh, forward to the podcast. So we'll be right back after these short commercial messages. They say a rich internal life leads to character. Now you can have this for your children at Bartholomew's School for Active Children, where your children can learn to develop a creative imagination because they'll have nothing else to do. With a curriculum featuring courses like paint drying and intro to watching grass grow, your child will be devoid of all external stimuli. Our athletics division includes a very vibrant and award-winning snail racing team. Give your children the gift of boredom today. Wow, wasn't that a great commercial, guys? Welcome back. We are talking about boredom. And during the commercial break, we had been, during our little break that we take uh, to make the commercials, we had been talking about measuring boredom. So are we more bored as a society than we used to be? Now, we have, to, we have a lot more content, but does that equate to less boredom? And how do we measure it? So do you guys have any ideas on that? So I don't have any ideas to that, but I think as a society, we tend to get more bored because we are constantly striving to find the best, whether it is the best content. For example, you are on Netflix. There is a lot of good content available to you. You will try to make sure that you watch the absolutely best as opposed to watching TV in the yesteryears where you would basically watch what was available to you. So I think that constant striving for the best wastes a lot of our time and does lead to more boredom in general. I absolutely agree. I think that one of the problems with... Uh choice paralysis is that we are more worried about the opportunity cost of not getting the better thing. When you pick something, you're devoting time, let's say you're watching a movie, that's an hour and a half of your time or more that you have to spend on this thing. When you could be spending it on something infinitely better that you don't know about, or maybe spending it on something that your friends have, have watched and you could, that you can talk to them about 
But maybe you don't like that thing, but then you get the talking points. And then there's that fear of missing out, that, that FOMO that has permeated modern life due to social media, but also just due to the amount of content that we have. And that's actually a really fascinating point. Thank you. But I don't, I don't understand. Does that increase the level of boredom that you experience? So, well, at what point do, do you get bored during that decision-making process? I think boredom also come, uh, like stems in from dissatisfaction. And uh, like as a generation who is so technologically equipped, I think we are constantly uh, worried about that opportunity cost. And say I'm watching a new show or, or listening to this music, there is something in the back of my mind making me think that, oh, I could have done something better, which is a form of boredom, I would say, where you are where you have this anxiety of not doing the best thing that you wanted to or not getting entertained to the best level. So wouldn't say it boredom, but more like less entertained. So one way to define boredom then is it's the inverse of engagement, really. It's yes. literally the inverse. of If you're fully engaged, if you're like in the middle of a basketball game and you're playing, there's like very little boredom available to you right there there's no boredom you're like one percent bored 99 percent engaged because you're literally about to take a, a three-point shot but if you're playing a game of checkers maybe and let's say your opponent is not as skilled as you are and you're kind of just moving around you're still playing you're kind of engaged but you're also a little bored because they're not as challenging as you want them to be people say that the cause of boredom is tedium and something that's tedious is wearisome. It wears on you. You tend to be tired and sad at the same time, or maybe like levels of one or the other. And a question that comes to mind is if people who then suffer from depression, are they more prone to boredom? Is boredom this inaction that's not just inaction, but it's the wearisome part of it, that when you're in that chess game, and you're waiting for this less skilled person to move and they're thinking about it, it's just weary. Is that boredom, right? Because you're saying the opposite is action, it's energy, it's motivation. And we think of boredom in two different scenarios. One is work, I'm bored at work, I'm doing this thing, or, or homework if you're a student, I'm just really bored doing this repetitive thing. And then the other is this boredom in leisure. So you think, well, leisure is the time you get to do anything. It's your time off of work. I should be the least bored of all. And people tend to be more bored in the leisure time than they do at work sometimes. Like Chin is saying, you know, you mentioned having Netflix at your disposal or games at your disposal, and you're still bored. There is this University of West Florida, they, they have been studying apparently leisure boredom that you can be bored in your leisure time which I think is fascinating and they ask questions or they ask people to kind of rate themselves on certain statements like does your leisure time drag on and on is leisure time boring to you are you excited about leisure time or are these leisure time activities just not exciting to you so they have them kind of rate themselves on leisure being a source of boredom I just wanted to point out that it was really interesting, uh, like when you said, are people who are pr more prone to depression tend to be more bored? Now, 
as someone who has battled with depression pretty much entire life, I feel pretty much yes, because there is a certain fear in committing to a task or committing, uh, you know, when others are playing a game or doing a task as a community together, uh, as someone who suffers from depression, it is, there is a certain um, um, wall, like a certain fear of commitment to actually engage in the task for the next few hours, which actually leads to more boredom. I thought that was really interesting. Why is it, so can I ask a question? When you say there's a fear to engage with the community playing the game or whatever, is it because you don't want to commit to it because you might not enjoy it? Or is it because you're afraid of something? No, it's because uh, I don't want to commit myself to it and then fear that I will not like it. Okay, because y you don't want to invest in something and get stuck in it. Yes. Okay. I, that's what I just want to clarify. I just, I, I, I basically wonder whether it's true only for people who suffer with depression or whether it is true for everyone else. I think maybe it could also be that you, there is nothing to say that you can enter and then just leave the game. I mean, necessarily no one is forcing you to do anything. So that commitment is... But then there's a social cost. If yes. you commit to something and then ex exit it quickly, you're also engaging in something that is deleterious to the rest of the community. Exactly. Because now they, you were engaged, they brought you in, and now you're leaving, so now there's a fear that, oh, now I'm letting everyone down. You're ruining the game or yeah. the event, so exactly. yeah, I understand. And while that. your friends may not think of it that way, they may just be like, oh, he doesn't want to do it, that's fine. Well, we'll just keep going. Hope you have fun. Like that, you know, that's how most people generally, we don't care. But if you're someone who has depression or anxiety, it might be something that's more weighing on you. Um, I never suffer from depression, so I might be completely off base, but um, this seems to me the way that people tend to think. I think you're right. Hmm. And actually, speaking on uh, boredom, I didn't answer my own question at the, at the top of the podcast. <laughs> the time I was the most bored. And I will. I have one very specific experience with extreme levels of boredom, and it wasn't even that bad. It wouldn't normally have been thought of as that bad. That was during an experiment. In college, I was part of a healthy aging lab. And thus to our uh, listeners who may be more interested in aging, uh, please check out our podcast on that just a few episodes ago. Very interesting to, on the topic of what happens when you get older and what does that entail. But we were doing an experiment on, on aging. And as one of the people who was designing the experiment, I had to take part in it. Now, this experiment involved a lot of staring at a blank screen waiting for things to happen. And it drove me crazy because I couldn't do something else or think about something else because I had to be paying attention to the experiment. But the experiment itself involved just waiting and then something was done to you. Uh, in this case, it was a mild electric shock. But that was the most exciting part of the experiment to me. Like, I actually started looking forward to it. That's how bored I got. You were looking forward to being shocked? Yeah, because at least something was happening. Did they actually shock you? Yeah, they actually shocked us. Oh, dear. <laughs> Well, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, like deadly. It was just like a bothersome tickle. But like, even that was better than the nothingness that was happening. It was driving me crazy because I couldn't take the time and, you know, think about other stuff and do other stuff in my head and think about life because I had to be engaged with the experiment. But I didn't want to be engaged because there was nothing to engage with. So just to clarify, so you were one of the designers of the experiment and a participant? Yes, I was a test participant. I wasn't actually 
You were not a data point. I was okay. just there to make sure the experiment was actually safe for people. So I was a guinea pig. I mean, that was fine. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't any danger, and it passed the, the review boards, and it was fine. Um, very interesting paper, if you want to read it later. But the experiment itself was designed in this form, and most other people didn't have this problem. Like, the results for everyone else was very different than my own results, and that's because I personally need more engagement. And I think that varies from people, to, from person to person. What engages you and how engaged you can be at any time varies. I mean, I know I couldn't stand the idea of being in church day in, I mean, every every week. So I get really bored at sermons and things like that. So that is completely unappealing to me. But some people really engage with that sort of content. So I think, what if, so the participants you said were more engaged than you were, but you were also the person that understood the experiment. So maybe the fact that it wasn't a novel or it wasn't a new experience for you made it feel boring. But to the randomly generated participants that came in for this experiment, it was a new experience. So every part of it was kind of new. So they felt more engaged. Well, the point is that boredom is not attributed to events. We can't say that Waiting in a doctor's office is by nature a boring thing to do because that's attributing to all human beings that they all react the same way to every context. And it's just not true, right? So you're right. I mean, it could be new to somebody else, but he may have experienced it in some way that made it more boring for him. And I will like just he note, said, I'm sorry, I will just note very quickly that there were other people who helped design the experiment that ran it and they were fine. It right. was me that was extremely bored. That's fair. Good point. And so for me, for example, I go to church and I'm completely motivated. It's like energizing. I learn so much, whereas other people say church is boring. So it's just context. So it made me think about the time when I was most bored when you were speaking of your experience. And it, I don't have a particular uh, memory of like being the most bored. Uh, but at the same time, I've been most bored while talking to people. When they are talking about now, this is this is an actively engaging task and not uh, like a moment when when you don't have anything to do, but it's when you actually have to like you know sit there, nod your head, and try to make an active conversation when what they are speaking of is completely off-putting or not of an interest to you. So I think that is a little paradoxical that like you are engaging in an active task and at the same time that is the most bored I feel I was. I would say it's because it strips you of other choices, right? You know, you have to be engaged in this task. You can't not be engaged. You can't be doing other things. You can't leave, leave. You can't live that rich internal life, right? Even if you have that as a thing within you. Because some people don't really like to spend time within themselves. In fact, I mean, Louis C.K. makes a lot of jokes about how we hate the feeling of not doing things. We actively look to not have it because then we start thinking. And that can be terrifying to some people. It's when you don't even have the choice of doing that. There's nothing you can do, but you have to be doing this one thing and you don't want to be doing it. And it's just completely off-putting, like Chinmay said, that we face a lot of trouble and get really bored. Do you think that over time we'll develop like pharmaceuticals that are going to combat boredom and boredom will be seen as an indication to be treated? I know um, it's a stretch and I'm not saying that we well, should. Well, haven't we already? Isn't that illicit drugs? Oh, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, that's what I think illicit drugs make you more interested in things. In yeah. But lots of times, I don't I don't think people participate in taking drugs because they are bored. It's like, I'm bored. I need to get high now. I don't think that's the... the. Maybe it is. I don't know. 
I think that is the primary, uh, not a primary reason, primary reason would be depression or something bad, but I think it, uh, now this is coming from no scientific backing, but I think that uh, boredom becomes a real cause of using drugs. You see a lot of uses of illicit drugs in populations where maybe there's not much for them else to do. So they kind of are bored in general. They don't have opportunity costs. I can't say whether it is due to misery or whether it is due to boredom or like not having to do something. But that's an interesting point. What brings people more to uh, drug use, whether it is misery or whether it's boredom? One of the things that they've, they've observed is that having being in a poor life situation is one of the major contributors to drug use. And for example, they, there was a, during the Vietnam War, there was a big fear that uh, all these vets were going to come back as drug users uh, because, you know, they, there was a huge amount of drug use in the war within combat veterans, right? I mean, I mean combat soldiers. The, and this was a kind of an epidemic within the army. But I mean, think about it. You're in a, ter- in a foreign country, in a, foreign, in a jungle somewhere, under constant uh, attack. You're paranoid. You don't have much else to do. They turn to drugs. But when they came back and they went back to their homes and families, if they had a good life situation when they were, they came back to, most of that evaporated. Most of that disappeared. So where you are in smoke? Life, yes, in figurative smoke, if you will. It's, it's one of those things where drug use and addiction, and we, I, I think we've talked about this before, is highly correlated to your overall life situation and whether you are engaged with people and have things going on. It's all about the, if we go back to what boredom is, essentially it's the level of dopamine that you are feeling in the moment. It sets the feeling of boredom. Does this mean some people are more prone to boredom than others just chemically? Potentially. Well, isn't that thrill-seeking behavior? Hmm. I mean, thrill-seekers, I feel, need a heightened level of adrenaline just to, like, feel normal. Now, what's interesting about that is it means that the people who are the most active in our lives are potentially the most bored. That's actually a very good point. That's a very, very true point. The people that are more conservative, maybe do less risky behavior, are actually quite content with their life. They enjoy the situations that they're in, and they're not really bored. They feel like they have an active life, lots of things going on. So that's a really good point. The fact that people who are engaging in all these thrill-seeking types of behaviors are the ones that experience the most boredom. And they have to compensate for that by participating in these crazy activities. Is boredom like a dulled sense? My metaphor for this is that I don't need seasoning on my white rice. I can tell the difference between different types of white rices because I'm so sensitive to the t- difference in taste, and I feel like life is that way too. You can give me an eraser and some paper clips, and I'll be very, I feel very stimulated by simple things. I can be creative with those simple things. But you have people who do need stronger stimuli, and so maybe they have that, that higher threshold, the more sense of boredom that they're trying to fill. Or I just, I just want to quickly point out a little bit of salt and olive oil makes rice way better. Really? I'm going to try that. You should, because unseasoned rice makes me sad. Yeah, I was just thinking... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You're thinking about 
rice, me too. <laughs> Sorry, no I just I just needed to get that rice in there. <laughs> Sorry, go commercial rice. Oh, the rice commercial that the rice is decent itself. I was thinking, what's the difference between uh, having a thrill-seeking behavior in general or having an active mind where like a person like me is does not have a very thrill-seeking or adventurous uh, personality but at the same time I think compared to most people I need to do more things to prevent myself from boredom so whether it's uh, how is thrill-seeking behavior or you know that uh, adrenaline addiction compared to just so instead of uh, physical activities or behaviors, you're talking about just internal, more wild thoughts that are at least enough satisfying enough for your... Yeah, yeah. I think he's talking more about engagement, if I might uh, interject. I think I think the difference, we were coming back to, and I think I disagree slightly with you, Ray, on the idea that dopamine is the main thing here, because that's more about pleasure. And I think this is what we're talking here is more about engagement. And I don't know exactly what goes into it, neurologically so i won't say exactly what i think on that topic but i think the two things that we're talking about thrill seeking which is more adrenaline seeking and a need for adrenaline that you lack in regular life and a need for engagement which is where boredom sets in i think that's where we're standing at and i think that's what we're referring to here basically yes so actually i have one question for all of you and specifically for stephanie because she's the only one that has an answer to the original question so when were, have you been the most bored? We know you like church, and you enjoy your time there. <laughs> we know you enjoy a paperclip. But when are you bored? Luis <laughs> and I should just get some paperclips out and make some <laughs> paperclip sculptures. Let's make something. a Lego fortress. Yeah. <laughs> I think the most bored is it's when I'm in a doctor's office where you can't, where I don't have a book with me, and I, but I, I couldn't read anyway if I did. I couldn't pull out my phone because phones aren't allowed. And there's doctor's offices like that. They're very strict. Because they don't want you texting and chatting and calling. And so you're sitting there forced to pay attention. You're listening for your name if they're calling you. You're like have to be actively engaged to, to be listening and focused and ready. And you can't leave the waiting room because they might call you. You know, it's this awful, you feel trapped. So I feel like... That would be the moment that I've felt most bored because I can't engage myself in a way that I usually can using my creativity. That said, I have had moments where I count the ceiling tiles and I find patterns in the walls and I'm like still enjoying myself. It's just hard when you know someone's captured your attention in a way you don't want it captured. That's really interesting. You point out counting ceiling tiles, things like that. I think that example or those kinds of examples illustrate how important as a human being we need to engage in some kind of mental stimulation or activity. It seems like, for example, let's think about taking a ride on an airplane 40, 50 years ago when they didn't have the TVs and maybe they didn't have all the luxurious things that you could do. You literally sat there without a cell phone, without looking at your old pictures or reading. You had maybe a magazine or a newspaper. You'd read that and that would finish and then you'd have to wait like another few bunch of hours. You could talk to the person next to you or not. That was like literally you had such few options 
Now, you cannot watch all the movies in the time that it takes for you to arrive at your destination. Just there's not enough time. There's so much. And movies are quite engaging. And, and there's obviously a lot of money put into these films in order to engage the human psyche as much as possible. So it's work. It works. It's effective. I just wanted to point out that airplane long-haul flight still happens to be my favorite time to actually read. And like I, I, I always carry like a novel or a book that I end up finishing when I'm doing like 18 hour long flights. Um, I don't know why, it's, it's because it's quiet and it's like nice and you don't have anything else to do. But I usually don't like engaging in the video system or like on my laptop when I'm flying. Well, actually, one, one, one interesting thing I, that you brought up, and I think it's telling about humanity, is what, as we've discovered new ways to travel, new ways of engaging people have come up with them. Like, the advent of the train created literature that's centered around the train and travel and seeing new sights. And the, similarly, the, the skies are were, became like a, a new place to explore when it came to literature. And the way of thinking about the world changed as well with the advent of the airplane. Yes, of course, people can get bored in a plane. But, for example, with a train, you can talk to people around you. You can engage them and meet new people who you may never have seen before and see new places. Similarly, the sky is allowed to do the same thing. But you can still be bored. And I think, for example, nowadays, I have like a fear of not having my phone on me and not having it charged. I must always be charged so I have something to look at. Or otherwise, the world is going to end. And then I stop when I don't have my phone, and I think, oh, everything's fine. I'm just watching things, and I'm not bored. I'm just thinking about other stuff or doing stuff. I come up with, I come up with stories about the people I'm, I'm watching. I people watch. I think about their lives and what they might be up to. But I don't still, people stare. I people watch. Very different thing. Yeah. But all those activities are still to combat this experience of boredom. You still... It's not like we can feel comfortable sitting within the cradle of boredom. That's, it's just so difficult for us to, it, it, it's an experience that no human really thrives in. I mean, I guess I see the point where boredom leads to creativity. And I, I don't consider that boredom. I, I consider that open thought or free thought flow, not necessarily boredom. Boredom is like a negative experience, I think. Just very quickly, I would say that what you're describing is, any, if anything, is boredom is a failure of your open thought. It's a failure to find that alternative. Sure. It's yes. It's a failure to do Agreed. something. Agreed. Very, thank you for clarifying. That's very important. Yeah. You're right. It's not that boredom is an inherently different thing. It's just that when you fail to find or engage, then you're bored. What causes this failure is that we try to combat the boredom. And we fill it with everything, including our phone or a game or counting the ceiling tiles we try to combat it, and so it's very hard to get rid of it that way. Instead, I believe we should embrace the boredom. Say, I've got this open space, I'm in the doctor's office, or I'm in an airplane, or where, where I'm in church, whatever your context is that incites the boredom, and then accept that you feel that way, and accept the space, and then that's where the free thought might be welcomed in. And that way you're not constantly for an hour combating it. And that's a fantastic way to think about it. And with that, we're going to leave our listeners one question that I want you all to reach out to us and answer. What do you do when you start getting bored? What are some of the ways you, you combat your own boredom? 
please reach out to us on pflpodcast.com or our Facebook page or on Twitter at the PFL Podcast. And I want to thank our special guest today, Chin Mei, for being with us here and, and having an engaging conversation that will help us keep our listeners from being bored. I want to thank our, my co-hosts. And as always, stay, stay crazy. crazy.